Hello, everyone, and welcome to Irenicast. We are a podcast that on the first and third Tuesday of every month bring to you our perspectives on theology and culture from a post-evangelical lens. This week, we're going to do something a little different. I had the privilege, along with Adam, my co-host from Divine Cinema and occasional guest here on Irenicast, uh, we went up and traveled to where Alan lives. And Alan has started something that he's mentioned on the podcast a few times. And this week's episode is a roundtable discussion with his colleagues in Intersections and what they've done and what they're doing. Uh, but I'm not going to get too much into it because I want to leave that to the discussion. But I do want to make one note before we get into this week's roundtable. You'll hear someone mention Me Too moments. And I just a point of clarification that we didn't make in the conversation that when that's brought up, it's not talking about the hashtag Me Too movement and sexual abuse and sexual assault from people in authority. It is just talking about finding other people whom you have the same experience with a, a moment of commonality, a moment of, oh, yeah, we're together. We're we're in the same place. So it's a small clarification. But because of the recent um, highlighting of the hashtag me too, I didn't want it to get confused. Other than that, I'm really excited to present to you this week's episode of Irenicast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of Irenicast. If you've been listening for the past few weeks, you've heard my co-host Alan begin to talk about um, something that he started that he's compared it to a brick and mortar version of this podcast, uh, where he started something called Intersections, where people get together. Well, I'm not going to try to explain a lot of it, but we are going to do something special where we're going to sit down and have a roundtable with Alan and his colleagues who have started Intersections in their area and just kind of get a sense of what something like the things that we talk about and how you can build community outside of church, outside of you just sitting in your car, perhaps listening to this podcast alone, and how you can kind of bridge those gaps, intersect, so to speak. Um, <laughs> Very nice. So uh, so what we're going to do is let's just go around the table, you know, literally round table. Yeah, we're literally and, all sitting next to each other. That's it's right. Pretty cool. So, And also joining us is Adam, my co-host of Divine Cinema, and he's also been on a couple episodes of Irenicast as well. So Adam, welcome uh, as a guest. Adam and I are kind of the interviewers um, for this particular thing because we are actually sitting at a table and we are about to experience the intersections vibe, yeah. the, whole, the whole deal right after this. So um, I appreciate you guys taking over because... Uh, so much energy in me right now seeing, <laughs> seeing different parts of my life come together it's a little creepy i'm not gonna lie but i'm super excited thank you all for being here so awesome. well then adam i'll i mean that's gonna happen it's gonna happen all the time uh so alan i'll turn over to you let's just kind of we'll introduce everyone and we'll kind of get the the ball rolling so let's start with who you are and how you met everyone, and then we'll introduce everyone and sure. all that kind of stuff. We'll go around and uh, let people introduce themselves. I won't introduce you, but uh, these fine people do really good work, and I met all of them through Casey. Casey is a minister in Loomis, and uh, I met you. Actually, I don't remember <laughs> how I met you. So you met me when I was doing my uh, candidating weekend to actually be the pastor of Loomis oh, Basin right. Congregational Church. I wasn't allowed to tell anyone that. That's right. It was like a secret. And so uh, they told me that I was going to be down in uh, at your church preaching. And so you and I hit it off via email because we both realized we were like – uh, under the age of 50, um, <laughs> which was a miracle for UCC clergy. Mm -hmm. And um, and so when I came uh, to preach, you and I 
just became instant friends. And then I met Bonnie at a Christmas party for a clergy, and we were also under the age of 50. Yeah. And we really hit it off. And then she introduced me. Oh, actually, I met Raj separately, too. I gave Raj a stole. And so I met all of you individually, and then here now we are collectively. Who does church work in actual churches like ours under the age of 50? That's crazy, right? You have yeah, to be a little bit. Hardly anybody. Hardly anyone. Yeah. So it's pretty special. Yeah. So Casey, it was called like a neutral pulpit or something. I just got an email saying, we want someone to come preach. We had, I think, like 10 or 15 extra people in our church yeah. that Sunday, which is really weird because our church is kind of small. Like, who are all these people? I was like, oh, just Casey's friends. You know, he's uh, one of my friends and he has a lot of friends in this area. It was wonderful. And one of the things that we did hit off was that we come from similar backgrounds too. I mean, the faith journey that we're on. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's very similar for Bonnie and Raj as well. So I'll let you all kind of introduce yourselves, Bonnie and Raj. Um, let's just go and you tell us who you are, like how you started. Why don't you start with Casey since Casey's already been talking. How did you find yourself doing the work you're doing in general in your life right now? My name is Casey Tennant. I'm the pastor of Loomis Basin Congregational Church. And uh, for as long as I could remember, I wanted to be a pastor. Like, uh, my family recalls me preaching on a stump around a fire when I was like three years old. Like, it's the only (laughs) thing I ever wanted to do. Wow. It's mythological. Um, Right. Um, And so being on this journey and I grew up Lutheran and evangelical, like uh, my parents like to remind me that being evangelical was my fault because that was not their thing. Um, (laughs) So Pentecostal churches, Foursquare churches, those were all my doing. Like I loved being there. I loved the music, the hype, but then all the toxic stuff came with that. Right. As I started to realize that I was a gay man and um, was still feeling so called to ministry, that conflict just got deeper and deeper um, because I was a sinner, an abomination, right? And so then I I went to college, I went to seminary and realized that even in the Lutheran seminary, that wasn't a good fit for me um, and found the United Church of Christ. And it was almost like a homecoming. I remember the very first Sunday walking into the UCC church in Modesto and people hugging me like, where you been? Long time Mm. no see. Um, And sitting in the back of the sanctuary just weeping because it felt like I foundly I finally found a home. It's it's really, really powerful for me to be a pastor, to every Sunday stand up and say something like, you know, whoever you are on life's journey, you know, whoever you are and wherever you are, you are welcome in this space. Um, because that was so true to me to hear a pastor say that. Um, and now I get to do that for others. So that's what brings me to the work, to being a pastor and intersections I think we're going to jump into later. But yeah, for sure. Um, that's it definitely leads into that because a lot of us at intersections didn't feel welcome in the places at the one point that we come from. Right. All right, Bonnie, your turn. Yeah, well, I'm Bonnie Rambob and I'm a pastor at Parkside Community Church. It's in South Sacramento. Um, and I'm co-pastor along with Elizabeth Griswold. And yeah, for me, coming to this work, I grew up Seventh-day Adventist. And it's kind of weird because now I say Adventist. (laughs) If I were still in the fold, I would say Adventist. Uh, Isn't that interesting? Hmm. Everybody else says Adventist. but So I grew up in that world where women are hardly ever on the platform during church services. And if they are, it's to do the children's moment or to, like, 
have some kind of announcement about the fellowship hour or something and (laughs) we need cookies, you Mm -hmm. know? So I think that I was probably called to ministry from a young child, but instead I, I went the teaching route and I taught school for a while in parochial Seventh-day Adventist schools and um, uh, just walked into a UCC church largely because of my uh, life partner, Raj, who you'll hear from in a minute, and found that women could be pastors. And I made a connection with a, a pastor there in Eugene, Oregon, and she said, I think you're being called to ministry. And in 2009, I entered seminary. So this is kind of a second career for me. And almost immediately, as I was leaving the Seventh-day Adventist tradition, I felt this like push and pull. There are so many people that I knew inside who were also feeling a lot of the same yearnings Mm -hmm. that I was feeling. And so almost immediately, I felt like I need to keep this line, this thread between myself and where I'm headed and the people that I'm leaving behind intact. So that's not not for everyone, but right. It's not for everyone. Absolutely. But I, I, I just felt that and I totally respect others who don't feel that way. All right, Raj. Oh, well, I'm Raj Rambab. As Bonnie said, we're life partners. You know, I'm a huge fan of Jennifer Knapp. You guys did an episode with her, yes. and I hear that she also sat at the yellow microphone, <laughs> which I'm sitting at, so that's kind of awesome. Um, so I also grew up. Oh, Jennifer, if you're listening to this. Uh, <laughs> we know you are. Seriously. We we need to talk. Um, I also grew up Seventh-day Adventist. Uh, my parents converted way back, actually grandparents on one side in India because of missionaries, so it's a pretty big deal. And it was the Adventist church that um, gave both my parents the opportunity to go to college. Both of them are from low caste in India, and getting college educations, the opportunity to come to the United States, build a better life for themselves, and me and my brother, who have done well. I mean, we're, we're really kind of poster children for the, for the immigrant dream in the United States. And uh, so I have a lot of gratitude for the Adventist Church and what it has done for my immediate family and my family network, which is pretty large. But over time, and as so, as a firstborn male child in an Indian family, you you kind of hold a special place. And then growing up in the Seventh Day Adventist Church, which is also like, oh, you're a dude, you know, God's blessed you just because you're male, and you could do anything you want in the church, and kind of being groomed for for leadership early on. And w- where things started to crack really was in high school, I think, when feminism came on the scene as far as my consciousness went, and then recognizing some of the real problems in the church, then getting to know people who were gay and lesbian, and having really close relationships with them, thinking they were amazing people, and yet my church was saying crazy shit about them. (laughs) Um, And then science, because I grew up going to parochial (laughs) schools, you know, like actual science, like, holy shit, we didn't learn any of this stuff. They, they like, hid it from us deliberately. So um, a lot of that stuff kind of went nuts. And I was a true believer, uh, and it was weird. I've shared this with Alan and Casey before, but it was Harold Camping and his stuff on the Bible that actually cracked 
away the Adventist theology and was like, ah, this guy's got him. We're, we've been wrong. He's right. Because, you know, the Bible at that point was still supreme. And then once that happened, and then I learned more about how the Bible came to be and some of the various uh, understandings of, of Scripture as we know it in, in the Western Hemisphere um, or the Western world, was just like, wow, this is all just a mess. At least the interpretation I grew up with. And it all fell away. It all fell away. And then in a weird way, Jesus... Uh, as as a best friend, kind of an imaginary best friend, just didn't go anywhere, was just there hanging out, waiting to do stuff with me. <laughs> Sounds creepy. <laughs> but um, it was that connection that allowed a bit of a revival or an openness to return, give Christianity another chance. So then I looked for who's cool with women like actually ordains them as true equals, who's cool with the queer community and ordains queer folk as equal, who actually likes science, you know, who's putting the Sermon on the Mount into action. So the UCC was like right on the top of the list, and there was the, the UUs as well, but there was, I just really missed Jesus with the UU crowd. Um, and that's where I came into contact with First Congregational in Eugene, United Church of Christ, and—, and was a process because I didn't trust that it was for real, uh, but I'm I'm glad to to be in this denomination and and ordained as well. Although I work outside the parish setting. One thing about Harold Camping before you move on. From that. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Harold Camping was really known for uh, he was a radio personality, and I remember being like I don't even really young uh, and listening on my radio at night to his voice because. He would speak in a monotone just like this. And so it was just very soothing listening to him. And he would talk a lot about end time stuff. And we didn't follow everything he said, of course. He used to say that the abomination of desolation happened and churches were no longer relevant and we should all just worship in our homes. Like just kind of out there stuff. But my dad would listen to him and I listened to him sometimes. And uh, he's the dude who convinced people that Jesus was coming back. So they sold oh, their yeah. houses and stuff. Oh, yeah. And he uh, was had bought billboards and all that kind of stuff. I just want to say God bless the birth mothers that birthed us into new places. I, I heard someone once say that we have these people who have ushered us into new places that we've been in, and they may not be what we st stay with, hmm. but like that was a part of our journey, right? I mean, like I think about theologians I've yeah. that really brought me out of where I was and where I am now that I would no longer read or listen to necessarily. <laughs> but hmm. you know, there's still a little bit of fondness there for people who. Sure. I mean, how crazy is that? Harold Camping <laughs> is the reason that Christianity fell away from me. Yeah. <laughs> wow. He opened up your mind about the Bible. Yeah, totally. Well, you know, uh, just made the Adventist literalist understanding go away because it wasn't biblical right? Hmm. as it claimed to be, whereas his stuff was pretty hardcore biblical. So you're, you're all in ministry with the UCC, obviously. So – Let's let's start with with intersection. So we, we got a little bit of how you all met. And uh, so what what birthed this idea of intersections? I get the sense that it came from various conversations and then dots started getting connecting and it kind of came together. Um, and yeah, Casey pointing out Bonnie, Bonnie yeah, <laughs> was uh, <laughs> seems to be the, the driving force behind it. So so give us a little like what what sparked this idea for for intersections? Everybody's looking at me, so I'll start. <laughs> um, for a while, like I mentioned before, I felt this like tug to really reach out to people who were also 
I mean, I say also, I'm sure everybody's experience is different, but there's this kind of wasteland spiritual wilderness that people tend to find themselves wandering in when they leave a community that has been so formative to them. And it's often not just, we're not just products of these communities in in our formation, but we're also, they're our identity and our social like environment and our support systems. And so it's very isolating and very hard to leave. I don't know how other folks have done it, but I know for me, I physically stayed present in my community, even though my mind and my heart was out of it before I had the courage to use my feet and actually leave, walk away. So I just you know, I just felt like this is almost, you know, to borrow language from my former community, it's almost like the mission field or like the the place where that spiritual wilderness is where I think ministry should happen mm-hmm. in the United mm-hmm. States today. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. So Raj and I, obviously, we've been talking about this for a while and We had our own journeys out of Seventh-day Adventism, but they were enough aligned that we were able to stay together. (laughs) And uh, and then I met Casey, and then Casey introduced me to Alan, and I was like, this is the team. Mm, This is the team. And we we have tried other things before in other ways, but— yeah. I mean, after we got to know each other and then to know that we all lived in proximity and then Casey had this great idea like, well, why don't we do this at a pub? Let's not do it in a church setting. Let's do it outside of church. And he had connections that made that happen. And it just it felt like now's the time. These are the people. And there are a whole bunch of people out there who long not just to listen and read things, but long to be together, you know, in supportive community to actually be able to feel the presence of another person who's going through the same thing um, or something similar. So that's how it got started. And then all of you go ahead and add. Yeah, I I think a, a, a lot of this also came with the election, yeah, which is very, very helpful for my ministry, for sure. Uh, there are, I every Sunday have at least two or three people who are coming into my church saying, I can't do evangelicalism anymore um, because it's promoting this patriarchy. It's promoting all of this stuff um, that I don't want my kids being brought up in. It just also felt like the right time politically. I mean, absolutely, especially uh, in Placer County, which is where we are doing it. Is it's a very conservative county, very conservative, and there are some major mega churches um, that sort of dominate the religious sort of world around here. Um, and so, I'm. I mean, we're having people show up who are coming from places that that don't value them or don't see them, whether that be women or LGBT or whatever. So it it just wasn't just the right time in terms of the people like us for, but it just felt like our best evangelist has been our new president mm-hmm. um, because the the evangelicals are trying to continue to rally around him. I think that we are providing a space that says you can still love Jesus and not believe any of that bullshit. Amen. I, I obviously have been doing some of this work for several years with the podcast and websites, and I felt like 
I fell through a crack. And I've said this before, but growing up and getting trained and finding myself suddenly like, you know, just I, part of it was graduating during the recession from Bible school was really hard because there was like no youth pastor jobs in California. <laughs> but the second that I became more egalitarian in my thinking, I lost a lot of opportunities of places to work at. And then the moment I became open and affirming through the the influence of really close friends, people that they know who they are, started their work with me and realizing that that's in the space I was, I had nothing. And so I, just like you, Raj, I had to look for a denomination that was open and affirming. And I have a heart for the millions of people who have left the churches that they grew up in, that it was their identity, even more than their identity. It's their spirituality. It's all these things, all these different parts of themselves that, you know, we're alone now. We fell through the crack. And so I've always wanted to be able to create community around that. And Jeff, that's something we wanted. I mean, mm -hmm. You've been in that process, falling through the crack, and I'm still there. You're still there, I know. And uh, stuck in the crack of the church forever. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Um, it's not that better stay. <laughs> we were gonna leave that one. Yeah, <laughs> it's not an ironic episode without a some sort of something to make Alan uncomfortable. Joke, <laughs> uncomfortable. Um, I uh, so I in the middle of us discussing all this stuff, like realizing like, well, how the hell do you be a part of community for people like that or meet my needs, not just, you know, like all of ours and especially as ministers, how do you be a part of that? And the answer was not like being in the church. That was not the thing because so many of us, that's not the space that we default to and it's not safe. You know, Raj is willing to give it a shot, but not all of us are. And so we started talking about like what the nature of community is and the church is and you know, in seminary, they talk about the attractional versus the missional model. Do you bring people to get them to come to church or do you prep people to go be the church out in the community? That was always the discussion. It's like, what about something completely different? What about like venerating people's stories, seeing them come to a community and being like, hey, you know, we're not just prepping you to go out there and go be spiritual in the world. You're spiritual beings who have already been in yes, the presence of God, right. connected mm -hmm. to God or, you know, how you construct yourself already. And I want to learn from you and I want to mm -hmm. be connected to that. All of us have the, you know, the Jesus thing is a part of who we are, but like we, we have people that I want to connect to people wherever they're at. And, uh, I know that my life has been made more rich and fuller in doing that. And so I think for me, that's kind of where intersections, we met a bunch, a bunch of times ahead of time before we started doing it and, uh, went back and forth on what the nature of the group would be. And it's still, still in process in some ways, but it's been really yeah. fun. Yeah. Well, this is Raj. Um, I want to jump in there, Alan, with kind of going back a little bit to when Bonnie came home, because I didn't know either of you guys. Bonnie came home and she's like, oh, it's Alan and Casey, and you got to meet them. You love them. I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> um, you know, I had no idea who you were. <laughs> and she was telling me about you. I said, well, tell me about it. I kind of had this interview, like like she was a reference for you guys. And was just like, all right, let's let's see where this goes. <laughs> And what's fascinating, because it, it it's it's not like this kind of work happens just out of nowhere. You know, we got to know each other. We we enjoyed spending time together right away. So that was awesome. We were aligned in our hearts. Our theologies are not aligned. You know, we do think differently. We disagree right. on stuff. And we value that. And we value that. But what what's so cool, and I, I'm like I, I I will get choked up from time to time talking about this because, given the old context, you couldn't disagree with people, you couldn't even offer 
a divergent opinion without suffering some major consequences. And to be able to do that as co-leaders of a group that is a spiritual group is really, really incredible. And, and I think sometimes maybe I take that for granted, uh, but these spaces don't exist very often. So there was that immediate, we, we liked each other. Uh, there was a fondness for each other, some trust built up really quickly, and some comfort in the fact that we were different people and we were different kinds of spiritual people, but really cared first and foremost about others' stories and their journeys and wanting to accompany folks, not lead or direct, and try do our best to eliminate loneliness. And, and and I think we all have our own experiences of loneliness in that wilderness that Bonnie talked about. Like spiritual loneliness. Yeah, like, which is know, so tough. Loneliness. It's so dark. So last Sunday's uh, gospel reading in the lectionary was Jesus wandering in the wilderness, right? And one of the things that I always love about that story or the way that I preach that story is Jesus is getting more clear about who he is and his own identity as he starts his ministry, right? So he goes from this profound moment of baptism where Jesus says, or God says, you are my beloved to Jesus. And then and then Jesus goes out into the wilderness to be by himself and wrestle, basically wrestle with those those half truths those those things that can be deceiving right satan the deceiver nothing that nothing that the deceiver tells jesus is wrong it's just jesus trying to um, make clear who he is and so i think that as spiritual people wandering in the wilderness we had to wrestle with some of those half truths right or we had to realize figure out what of it was bullshit and what of it wasn't and so it's always really powerful for me to be at intersections to hear how people arrived how they've come out of the wilderness or how they're still in the wilderness and are able to ta- articulate their own faith journey and their own truths about who they are in relation to the divine and that's what draws me to each of you um we don't always agree, but we have all wandered in the wilderness, right. and we all have come to different conclusions based upon our own life experience, and they're profoundly valuable, and they're profoundly deep. And so now, I guess for me, and I think you, maybe all of you would agree, I don't feel so alone in the wilderness because I know that I have partners in that journey. And that's all I think we're trying to do with intersections is to say, come wander with us. Come be with us in this and begin to, for your own self, articulate or talk about some of that stuff as you hash it out. And we'll be a sounding board and we will wander with you. So, And I think I felt most vulnerable when I was in that wilderness space. I know we talk about, you know, the wilderness experience is ongoing, but it's there are periods of time when it's very profound. Absolutely. Yeah. Where you do, at least I think sometimes you do sort of leave it and then you may go back into it. But and during the the times when it is very profound, I mean, if we want to use the text, Jesus is a great example. He was so vulnerable. Right. And I think that the gentleness that we try to foster at intersections helps folks who are feeling very raw, very open, yeah. very vulnerable, feel like okay, here's a place where whatever I bring to the conversation, it will be accepted. It may not be fully understood or embraced even, but it will be accepted as part of my story and part of my reality. And to be known in that way, not just to know things, but to be known like that, it's super powerful, I think. 
And if I could say one more thing, um, you can. My, thank you. My, <laughs> you my, should be saying more things. <laughs> <laughs> um, my experience growing up the way that I did in a very fundamentalist, restrictive environment made me feel like a disintegrated person. And intersections, like even using the word, the name intersections, which I can't remember exactly who came up with that, but or uh, maybe know. one of these two, I it think. Fell for, it fell what, either Alan or Rod. <laughs> Rod. <laughs> Rod. Um, it was like instant light bulb. We all knew that was it. Yeah. It just felt right. Because I think like this this experience of disintegration, you start putting things back together again and constructing something new. Uh, but part of what you come to realize is that really we're all made up of all of these intersections and that that is a kind of integration is is to be intersected and to know where those points are and to really just love that. Yeah, this is Raj again. One of the things that stands out to me is the courage that I get to experience over and over with folks coming to the group. We yeah. You know, never and, get used to that. Yeah, <laughs> That's true. I mean, kind of early on in our our work in this area, we had a small group of of fringe and former Adventists who were like needing a place to be. And I think it was our very first meeting. One of the people came to the door. I saw them pull up to in the driveway and then left and then came back <laughs> and you know walked up to the door really slowly. And I went to the door to greet them, and they were shaking. Wow, they were visibly shaking. And I opened the door and they said, I'm not even sure I'm supposed to be here. I was like, it's okay. You know, come in for a few minutes. If it's not working for you, you can leave. But we're glad you're here. You know, I, I think we see maybe not always physical shaking, but it's it's a big step for folks to enter a community outside of the one that they've been in for so long. And so I think the four of us recognize uh, the fact that it takes a lot of courage to come in and we try to be super sensitive. Um, I'm sure we fail more more than we get it perfectly, but um, it's a real privilege to be in that space with folks. Part, part of that brings to mind that we've tried to strike a balance between not invalidating people's former experiences because there are things that are valuable that we've brought with us from wherever we come from. And we are identified as being unfundy or ex-evangelical right. or whatever. And it's hard not to. One thing we've all got in common, that some of the reason we're in wildernesses, is because it's almost self-imposed. We've identified ourselves like, this is not who I am anymore, but who am I, right? And so we're, we've tried to strike a balance between not necessarily invalidating all the places people have come from, but if someone has experienced something that's no longer true or something they're moving out of, we let them speak that. <laughs> and so like, that's because that's, we know what that's like to come from that sort of space. and. Uh, you said, you know, it's the it's vulnerable, Bonnie. It's a vulnerable place to be in, and obviously, someone w dealing with that level of of difficulty, Raj. For me, one of the most uh, profound like points of intersections is the confidentiality part of it. This is a space where, like, the rest of your life, you can keep it intact if you need it to be. You don't have to tell people in your church that you're doing this, or you know. Nobody has to find out. And you're not going to suffer all the consequences for opening yourself up. Uh, you, use an alias if you need to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. We in our first intersections meeting, uh, there was um, a friend of mine who came who is in recovery. 
And she said, this feels a lot like recovery Mm. because what people are coming here to do is release some of the stuff that is binding them, you know? And just hearing you say, you know, this is a confidential thing. You can come here and you can be with us and use an alias if you need, um, but say what you need to say so that you leave a little lighter. Sounds a lot like recovery. Yeah, <laughs> it does. In some ways it is. So it, it sounds like one of the central identities of intersections is space, uh, a space other than the space that hurt the people that are coming in the first place, you know, is Profound. I mean, we we have a lot of dialogue in our culture today about safe spaces and how important that is for people to to kind of be separate. Um, so then, w- along with that, obviously, Adam and I will be. I, I just want to give a shout out to the monk cellar because they let us go there for free. Yeah, like, our we get to meet. Space, it's yeah, awesome. It's a great place <laughs> so for cool. beer and food. So I'm shouting them out. <laughs> if you're in this area, we'll put that in the show yes, notes. Yes, you within go driving to Sacramento or Roseville, you should. Sounds good. Um, so, so in that space, uh, you know, Adam and I are about to walk into this space for the first time where, <laughs> are you ready, Adam? <laughs> oh yeah, it's, I'm very ready. <laughs> uh, and, and I'm, I'm sure that, you know, maybe not exactly like us, but we're going in probably more as observers and uh, there are people, like you said, that are going to come in and feel like, I just want to, maybe next week I'll speak or maybe the next, the week after that. Uh, what, what does it look like as I walk through the doors? What, what's going to happen? What am I going to experience? How is it? How is it not just different in the physical space, but how is it different from a service or a church? And why is the space so important to be separate from that church experience? Well, we we try to do a few things. One is that if when people walk in, that they're greeted by one of us. Um, so we we kind of using our our radar, we we take turns keeping an eye on on the entry space. Do you provide a free gift and an information packet? Yeah. <laughs> no. no. And so, you know, no. if if you walk in right at the beginning, a few of us are standing around chatting. I mean, it looks very much like a pub meetup. And if you're brand new, you don't know anybody, it'd be like, you know, you went on meetup.com and there's people going to have a beer and some nachos and talk about stuff. So we try to make sure we, we introduce ourselves, uh, welcome folks, connect them to a group if if it's already going. We avoid being didactic as much as possible, but we do want to model sharing our own experiences just just to help maybe show that it is a safe space to share and, as Bonnie said, be vulnerable, but try to – it isn't about us and our experiences, but hopefully those tidbits help open the door for others to share. And we do – I think we do a ton of cheerleading and encouraging too. What you mean by that is we don't teach or preach. There's not someone standing up like preaching when everyone's coming. What we do is we model the discussion that we're going to be having. Right. One of us yeah. speaks. And like even when we do take turns sharing, we time each other and we're like rough. We're like, your time's up. Right. That's for me more than anyone. I wasn't going to go there. <laughs> is, is Alan getting cut off more than anyone else? Well, <laughs> when you ask me to stand up there with a beer in hand and start talking to <laughs> people, oh my goodness. You don't and need to have Alan, a beer in hand. The first time Alan's talking. like, where's the mic? Where's the mic? Like, There's no mic, Oh my Alan. gosh, remember? Yeah. Well, I didn't know if he was going to be able to <laughs> he hear. the mic so justify I didn't know if he was going to be able to hear, you know? I didn't know. Casey and I just smile. Yes, and roll our eyes. <laughs> yeah. We started by having uh, food and small talk first, but the food over the the conversation over the food has actually been good too. Yeah, doing that instead. Yeah. 
But we also have really clear topics right. yes. that we publish ahead of time and um, allow people to kind of get a sense for if I go, this is what they're talking about. So it doesn't feel quite as scary, probably. And where do you publish that? Like Facebook. Where does, Facebook. Facebook. Okay, so you yes, have a page we have an intersection. and Meetup. Facebook page, yeah, and Meetup. And um, with, within our clear topics, we, ha- we split into smaller groups. So folk, so people can talk with maybe six to eight other people. And, and we're hoping that the ones who may not talk in front of 20 people like myself, um, if I'm in a smaller group, I'm, you know, much more likely to share. And I think we've had people walk through the door completely with the intention of not saying a word. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure that's happened yet. I think everyone has actually gotten kind of wrapped up in right. the conversation. Right. And we notice so many uh, like me too moments. Mm. And it's that's really beautiful. I mean, that's where human connection becomes very real. It's almost like you could touch the yeah. connection mm-hmm. in the room. That's a good way to say it. That's what it feels like. Very visceral. So if I'm coming in, you, you, one of you is introducing the topic and just kind of modeling an idea and then you sit down and eat and break up and everyone kind of talks into it. Uh, r- roughly how many people do you see now on a regular basis when you gather? I think we've had the smallest we've had is about eight and the largest maybe 18. Eight plus us four or? Yeah. Yeah. Eight mm-hmm. plus us four. Yeah. 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 And so usually we yeah, have not counting us. two leaders like in a group at least or right. one and then we just act kind of as facilitators. Right. Like we may ask a pointed question every once in a while, but it's only if it feels right. Like I trust all of you to to respect people's processes and to also help them along if it needs if they need to. And so it's not it's not threatening whatsoever, but it's nice to have one person with the mind of kind of facilitating the conversation because we've we've all been in. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying this. We've all been where one person dominates the conversation and other people don't. And it's nice to have someone that just kind of like one one of the We don't know values. anyone like that. <laughs> <laughs> Last episode of this podcast, I interrupted Jeff like five times. So that was really fun. Um I I think it's really beneficial. There's like actually we always we almost do we always go over the the ground rules Pretty yes much. okay Pretty so much, there's yeah. ground rules that bonnie and raj and especially raj like brought to us that talk about not just confidentiality but like if you usually talk more than you then talk less if you talk less talk a little more and like just some they're very valuable there's some generalizations but i think it puts us in the right space mm-hmm. like can't really remember all the other ones off the top of my head but well yeah i mean they're they're on our facebook page in the about us section. So people know, you know, they probably don't read that far down, but they're there and we just read from that. So you were, you were asking about like, what is it like? And we haven't really answered you directly, (laughs) but uh, you know, folks come in, one of us, we, we have a pre-meeting and we divvy up the tasks. So one of us will, will take on the kind of the welcome, going over the ground rules, sharing the concept of intersections and intersectionality and then introducing the topic, uh, one of us, the others might actually have a two-minute something or other around the topic to just help flesh it out a little bit. And then we move into our, our groups. And then there are typically some facilitation questions that we've agreed upon ahead of time. That Casey usually writes, we, and yeah, they're amazing. Casey, right. Casey is a, an incredible facilitator. Yeah, so we rely heavily on him for that. And, and then it just flows. 
And then one of us it, it has been assigned or, or volunteers to take on a wrap-up thought. And um, people usually hang out, have another beer. Uh, we try to we try to end on time to respect folks' time, and especially if you've got kids and there's a babysitter at home. So, yeah, it's a diverse group, ages and genders, et cetera. And it's not church, not it's even not close church. to no. church. Close to church. And we, you know, we even or well, I should speak for myself. I'm even a little bit like not wearing the clergy mantle very strongly right. at that at this in the intersection space. Because people, most people who come have been talked at or t- mm-hmm. by pastors so much that that's really the last thing they want or need. And it's the last thing I feel like doing, frankly. You're more of a person who's been through the wilderness and walked with a, of several other people through the wilderness. And that's who you are in that space, is someone who's been through the process, mm-hmm. thought about the process, and been with other people more than just being a, a clergy or something. Yeah. Thanks, Alan. And that, that's 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 yeah. helpful. I mean, it's helpful to have friends who have been through this stuff, mm-hmm. but it's also helpful to have people who have walked with many, many other people through the process. You know, I think that's the thing that that you all have to offer. You all are pastors, though. Mm-hmm. Um, or sure. Raj, I mean, it's like I outside am. of the um, yeah, I work parish. in social services, right? Yeah, um, but so I mean, you you have that role, though. So I mean, how would you say for yourself the energy is different for you in that role, maybe? on a Sunday or a Saturday, or I don't know when you'll, or maybe Wednesday night service versus when you get to walk into the intersection space. Um, how does it feel different for you? Cause you're leading in both cases and I mean, maybe in different holding the space differently, but what's, yeah, what's that like for you? I think, I think that sometimes, um, as pastor, I, you have to present in a very certain way, you know, mm-hmm. um, I, right before this podcast was showing Alan all of my clergy drag, right? So all my robe and my stoles <laughs> and all of these beautiful things that I have. Um, but when I show up to intersections, I get to be KC. Mm. I get to show up in my jeans and my shirt and I can still offer pastoral care. I can still be present in that way. Um, but this also is about my own. Hmm. wandering, right? So a lot of times when we're talking about this stuff, those me too moments hit us also, right? Like hearing someone talk about healing and recalling people like trying to lay hands on me Hmm. and cast this demon of homosexuality out of me. Um, We may not have had healing for the same things, but I remember that. Hmm. Uh, That was true for me. And it didn't go away. Ta-da! Um, <laughs> uh, and so, so worship is different as pastor in my clergy drag, where I'm showing up in this very professional way. Whereas intersections, being at the monk cellar in jeans and a t-shirt and drinking beer, and and being able to nod my head yes and to hear the pain of another and to journey with them, but also being able to be vulnerable enough to say, "Me too." right? It's different. It's a different experience. Seems like it's closer. Yeah, it's closer. It's, and, and it provides a different role, right? This, these are people that God has called me to serve, but they're not my church. They're Mm. not my people per se, you know? Yeah. So you're not there to lead them into the wilderness or teach them or do some of the things that we've told pastors they should do. That's right. I just get to be present. It's so much more dialogical, I guess. Like there's more talk back and forth and I, yeah. You feel kind of like you're producing a little bit when you're, I do, when I'm in church mm-hmm. as a leader. I'm I'm responsible for content. I'm responsible for yeah. a lot of different things. And there's so much more 
that I'm stepping into when I come into intersections that I get out of it. Well, and I, I think one of the big differences, and this is really important to me, is if you had the chance to chat with folks like the next morning that were at intersections the night before, mm-hmm. I doubt any one of them would relay anything that one of the four of us said was mm, their yeah. takeaway. Right. Their takeaway was probably going to be something someone else in the group said that spoke right. to them. That's right. And that's beautiful to to get to witness that and that, you know, that, that kind of sharing really blessing. Uh, there's a church word. Um, Use it. Benefiting, <laughs> benefiting people. Yeah. And another thing about, that's different about Casey is like I've seen him in the clergy robe role. And he's he does that well. And at the monk cellar, he's like Godfather Jr. He's sitting there <laughs> in the chair. He's got his hands folded across his chest. It's like, whoa, don't mess with him. <laughs> nice. I, I was, he's shaking his head. <laughs> I don't even know what to do with that. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Uh, just you're just kind of piggybacking on on Adam's question. Uh, it seems like the very need for an intersection groups points on a certain level to a failure of the church as ministers. How then? Not like you know, we we kind of see where your roles are differently, but then how then do you see your work in the church beginning to bridge that so that there's, that people can look at, at a church as a place of the space you're trying to create in the intersection? So my model for salvation is wholeness, right? Like I believe Jesus, I like Jesus, really um, Jesus is restoring people to wholeness in relationship with themselves, with their neighbors and with God. Um, Preach. and. And so I feel like what we what we are doing at intersections is allowing people to find wholeness with themselves, with their neighbors, and with God. So what I hope to do as pastor, right, every Sunday morning is to preach to the wholeness of of all people, right? That that you have that you are already whole, right? It's like the Wizard of Oz model. Everything you need is within you. Um, it's already there. You just need to find it. And I hope that I'm preaching to that and I'm living that out in my ministry and I'm offering that to the church. And I also know that that's what we're doing at intersections. Um, but but it's it's garbed in something different, right? I mean, when you are pastor of a church, you you're walking into like a family history. <laughs> like yeah. you're the step parent who's walking in with all of the the stuff, and so you don't get to really uh, right away anyway build upon what you think needs to be happening or leading people in the way that you know if we only did it this way, it could be better, right? Whereas with this model, this is grassroots, baby. It's like, right right now, this is what we're doing. And I think it's working because we're just allowing people to come in and find wholeness for themselves without all of the extra baggage. Well, you know, this is Raj. We talked about how we disagree on Raj. stuff. With all these great. voices, you know, I do conference calls so much for work. So. Um, I think church... Uh, hasn't worked because it's been unwilling to change in some foundational ways, theologically, somewhat stylistically. Um, but I think there's a lot of stuff that happens in church and has happened historically in church that are really valuable to a lot of people. I found my way back to a very new way of being Christian in a church, and attending church still feeds me. And I, I know I'm Casey brought up being 50-something. I'm going to be 50 in a couple of months. So I can't <laughs> thanks, believe Casey. that. Um, you guys can't see him, but you know you and look so, great. I'm just going to say that. Thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> so you know, I I think there needs to be some changes made, and I think groups and 
movements like intersections and outside of a church building, spiritual conversations and gatherings are really important. But there's something, and Casey talked about being a step-parent as a clergy person, stepping into a role at a church. There is something very familial and communal about traditional church that nothing else can replace. You celebrate the birth of the children of members, you grow up with them, and you bury people together. Intersections uh, has changed the way I do church. I came into the senior pastor, solo pastor ministry with the model of preaching for 45 minutes. That was how I was taught as a kid, and that's what we listened to, and everyone had notes. That explains and, a lot. <laughs> and uh, I did that as a youth pastor. Like, my my youth ministry was actually wonderful. I mean, I would I would teach for 30 or 45 minutes God a couple times a children. week. And you know what? They were great. And I And one thing I intuited back then was it had to be more of a conversation than just you know, sitting there monologuing. And I had, I felt like maybe I had to let that go a little bit when I became a solo minister. But one thing I've realized since I started ironic or intersections, <laughs> man, so many intersections in my brain right now. Um, I started preaching in a way that invites much more conversation. I've stopped in the middle of sermons and like more and more each week, ask people real questions and had them actually respond, like go through the process. At first, everybody was very uncomfortable. Thank God for that one person in the front. She'll (laughs) answer anything and it doesn't matter if it's, you know, necessarily on point, but she gets the conversation started and it's awesome. And, uh, it, the, the church talks, like they talk to themselves and to each other about what we're talking about. And I feel like there's always conversations about sermons like you go home, the parents have conversations or kids do or internally you're like, I don't necessarily agree with that or I think about that this way or people are kind of like lost in thought. When it's a really good sermon, I'll kind of get lost in thought, right? Thinking about what the person's saying and it's like, why doesn't the community have access to any of that? Like that's like so much movement going on that you never see. You just kind of think about. And so having more dialogue inside of our Sunday services has been pretty cool. So it's been changing me. I think that's the future of the church. Yeah, I agree. And I, uh, so many great thinkers have said things like, the church is not dying, it's failing. But in when something dies and fails, there's so much room for something new to be We're born. There's a lot of Easter room. Easter is coming. <laughs> Let it die. So yeah. it can resurrect. Yeah. There is yeah. a lot of room. People identify as spiritual people. They may not feel like they belong to a religious structure because all the religious structures they know have failed them in some key ways but there's still that like desire there like for all of us we we see it yes so in church you you know you're guided by the lectionary gives you your your topics your verses uh the liturgical seasons all that kind of stuff so in intersections what what guides what topics you're going to pick do you have a time where you reflect on the conversations from the month before and that influences it or do you have it planned out ahead of time so uh I was a community organizer for a while, and I still see a lot of my ministry as community organizing. And so one of the things that I feel like I really wanted to bring to the table was a deep sense of listening to the people we were we were interacting with. Um, that was really important to me of like, what whatever we talk about, whatever we do has to come from them. And so at the end of every time we get together, uh, we sort of invite anyone to sort of reflect, you know, what did you get from tonight or what are you hearing or 
and allowing people to just sort of talk talk amongst themselves in a larger group often than not something pops up that we're like you know what that'll be next month's topic or if it doesn't feel like it's happening we sort of say so what's next like where do you guys think we need to go next and it comes from the from the group not just us because i think that if we we were in charge um, we would like have Alan talking about the Bible or something <laughs> every <Right>. every time. Alan would love to do that. I don't think that's say, true, but I'm not going to say that. That topic will come up because people have struggled with it. It's something that we're yeah. all kind of like. It's it's a, but the topics we've covered so far, like sexuality and gender, relationship with self, uh, relationship with our former communities. Like, how do you navigate the relationships that are strained? And are you angry at your past or are you like nostalgic for it? Like, all people are all over the place. One thing that I find helpful is that in generating all of the ideas, uh, Raj has been really helpful in like sitting down, thinking through, like, well, now that we have all these different ways to go, where do we see people? Like, we're the ones listening to everyone in all the different groups and we come back together. What would be beneficial for the group? So we do have ownership. We do have ownership over it, but we're not deciding necessarily what yeah. people. I would say responsibility instead of ownership. Sorry, did I say ownership? Yeah, yes, I sure meant that did. in a colloquial term. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. all right. I mean, uh, yeah, uh, we we that's do. A, that, that's a good point. It's we not do our, our best to listen. Like tonight, I know this web, this podcast isn't airing tomorrow, but uh, tonight's topic, uh, we're actually using Plato's allegory of the cave going to ask people what about their journeys their stories connects to that how how does it resonate and then where the conversation is going to go is going to be really interesting and i'm excited because none of us know where it's going to go and we're going to learn a lot about each other and and hopefully a little about ourselves so it's it's a cool experiment so one of us will stand up and explain like what the allegory of the cave is. We've we sent some we the video, time. yeah, but, but not everyone will will have seen it. So someone will explain it, explain a little bit of how that kind of connects to their story, and then like let people run with it. And man, that that one especially not to just talk about that topic in this. I know it's just about intersections, but that topic in particular, the idea of going out and experiencing life outside of the cave, and then coming back and having everyone tell you that that's not legitimate. Right. Like, that's a powerful <laughs> that's real. analogy for what we've experienced. That is real, yeah. And I think that there are things that all of us have experienced in intersections in our different lives that we find life-giving and real and powerful that are not legitimate in yes. our former context. So that's the kind of topics, I guess, that we we cover. So, Raj, you mentioned earlier, and just have a little fun, hopefully some arguments here. You mentioned that you guys aren't <laughs> always on the same page. Yay. That's uh, right. So so among the four of you, what has been the most uh, difficult hurdle as far as, like, bridging a gap of understanding? Well, Alan's dog, <laughs> dogmatic Trinitarianism. Alan. <laughs> hey, I have a beautiful Trinitarianism. <laughs> Let's not say dogmatic. <laughs> No, it it is beautiful, and I it it's fun because I I abandoned Trinitarianism a long time ago for various reasons. Um, have a what I would consider a close relationship with Jesus, but not necessarily as the Son of God in the way I grew up with the Jesus idea. And then Alan has like that, but it's his version's really beautiful, and it it benefits me to to hear him talk about it. But 
Yeah, I, I mean, that's that's one specific area yeah, of theological disagreement we've had. So, so in that, you know, I've moved from a place of understanding the Trinity as being like hierarchical and like particle and de- definite and things like that, and moved more toward the idea of movement and like just some very. Richard Rohr wrote um, the Divine Dance, and I think that's been a big part of kind of embracing that. And I think that that's like in Celtic Christianity, that's a really big element. Anyway bunch of wonderful things but there's also been not just theological disagreements but like what's the purpose of this what are we going to do like things like that we, we had to jump over we had two ideas of what the group would even be at, at right. first and kind of went back and forth yeah can, can you describe we had like, we had like a it? web we had like a web mapping of what this was going to be yeah mm-hmm. and so we've had to overcome some of that yeah. and you know what i think we all really care about language and presentation how we present Absolutely. this stuff because yeah. you know a lot of the hurt that I've experienced in churches were from things people said, like the way they presented things, the way they talked about me, the way they talked about the group or about faith in general or God. And so whenever we do stuff, it's always like everyone cares about the way we're presenting this. So those are hurdles that we have to go over all the time. Not that you and I've had any of that in the past. None. Right, Jeff? <laughs> I, I have the power. I could just cut it out. <laughs> yeah. For actually working with four people, um, it is more challenging than just with two or three uh, that I've experienced, but it's it's been really fun. Mm-hmm. Are there other significant hurdles that we've come over? I don't mean to just. I I think the other. I mean, we're we know that this is we're forming as we go, so I think that has um, given us some freedom, but it, but it's also given us some license to have the arguments because yeah, we know that we're not. It's not figured out yet, yeah. and. So if you don't like something, say something. That's right. And That's right. we have. And yeah. I think it's made it much richer, much better. Right. And it's easy to be offended, like when, you know, my idea is struck down or something or people don't agree with it. But that's a part of the process, too, is like being open and vulnerable with other leaders to be able to have that kind of space for each other and not just, you know, get offended or blow off. Like that's that's pretty special for me. Yeah. And I think that that's, you know, Rush talked about the close connection that we feel to each other, right? And and honestly, Raj and Bonnie model it so well. Like, they disagree all the time. Bonnie's normally right, but uh, it, just takes Raj, it just takes Raj some time. <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm always on Bonnie's side. That's the joke. But, um, and Raj and I true. have a close affinity. I, I'm yeah. getting this sense. I call, oh, I call uh, Raj and Alan's <laughs> hangout time bromance. So they have their own bromance, and then Bonnie and I get together. <laughs> but, um, uh, but you model beautifully, I think, what it is to be an intimate relationship and to be able to disagree clearly and, like, like directly. And so you have allowed us, I think, to join in that, to be able to say, I don't agree or that's, or Alan's wrong <laughs> and, and it'd be okay, Alan. You're, it's okay. I'm a middle child. So I'm used to that. Right. <laughs> so um, secretly I'm right. And you know, you'll find out. Someday. <laughs> but I, I do think that it, it really, we do have a close connection and it allows for us to be able to disagree about things and not be offended or be hurt, but to know that, um, we all have the best intention, right? Or to be hurt and then work through it. That's right. With mm-hmm. the group. Because I think it's just natural for everyone. It doesn't sure. matter. Sure. To feel those emotions and then not right. just run away with them, but sit with them. But we have done Bible study 
and that was interesting. We did that once. Just yeah. We need to yeah. do it again. Just us four, not intersection. Right. Okay. We yeah. did yeah. Bible study together. No, we oh, would do Bible crazy. We would yeah. just to clarify. That was crazy. Just to clarify. <laughs> Look, I can't drink right now, and I wish I could have. <laughs> <laughs> just well, to I, clarify. I want to jump on what Casey before, said though, about Bonnie. Before you say um, anything else, Bonnie is usually right. <laughs> Um, not always, but she is usually this right. This is on recording. But I, it, 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 I, I think it's important. Her wisdom, because she, I think, envisioned this group long before the the three of us had any notion that it was going to be what it is. You were the one you know, taking notes every time we like talked. Our, our, our <laughs> spirit true, guide. Money. <laughs> Sorry, Alan, I cut you off. Some of the, it's some nice of to the cut glue. you off sometimes. It feels good. <laughs> I appreciate that kind of I come from an Irish family. <laughs> uh conversational space is also, you know, a rare thing. So you have to fight for it. Not just mm. the food, but also space in the family. We did not have a Bible study at intersections. I just wanted to clarify right. that. Yeah. <laughs> when we said we had a Bible study, it wasn't the intersection. It was just thing. At our house. We did yeah. it at your house and we were, you know, drinking and stuff and I know people got upset that I was like, oh, Philippians is one of my favorite things. <laughs> of course, it's your one of your favorite things, Alan. <laughs> well, come on, dude. Like, there's a, it's a, there's a vulnerability with the author there. Um, okay, it was fun it to was go. So fun, it was fun man. to go text was by text really and just be like, how, how do you feel about this? And right. just we haven't had and be like, what? Are you kidding? <laughs> like, you actually think that? Yeah. But and, there was lots of good. Like, oh, yeah. I think I it learned. Was cool. It was good. It so was, we've so that cool. and then our conversation about God. Like uh, oh, yeah. there have been times when we just get. Well, I mean, right. so I it's not just that. Bible study, but even just theological conversations. Right. Honestly, I'm. I have to give Bonnie props again. Like my image of God is RuPaul. Just so you know, like nice. RuPaul embodies <laughs> for me everything that God is. Like I love. I love RuPaul as a man, and I love RuPaul as a drag queen. Right, and her tenderness, but whatever. Um, but Bonnie, like talking about God as the lurer, like, brought me to tears and has transformed my own theology. And I'm a pastor. I have two master's degrees. <laughs> and to hear Bonnie talk about God as the lure, the one who invites us in and is beckoning us, like, I, I believed that, but I didn't have language like you did. And again, so I'm learning, like we're learning. And that's it. And I think that we do that together. And that's also what what makes intersection so great is that it is still us learning together, right? It's not just that we, the four of us are learning, but we're inviting other people into that process of learning. Yeah. And that's process theology. So right. I can't right. take credit for that. Yeah, but, well, you're, yeah. you're the process prophet. Yeah, right. Process theology, open theism. I care a lot about how science relates to faith and determinism and divine action and stuff like that. And so we've talked about really deep concepts and we all bring something very unique to the table. That's what's been really fun talking about like, uh, contextual theologies and um, just it, it, it's been really fun. I think that kind of energy has given us a lot of um, energy to take our work seriously at intersections. It's a journey toward authenticity, you know, really. I mean, if we, we wouldn't be where we are without wanting to be on that journey, on that path. And the people who come to intersections are also on that journey on that path. They're looking for their authentic selves. So I think, um, yeah, I think that's also where the conflict comes in. And yeah. And it's one thing to just want to be authentic, like in a, in a, in a regular group, quote unquote, regular group. What's special about intersections is we're doing this in the context of spirituality and faith communities. And that's hard. You know what I mean? You can go to a, a, a group where you can feel like you belong and do a lot of this work outside of the context of spirituality, especially Christian, post-Christian, post-evangelical stuff. But in the context of this, like that's that's unique. That's unique work. 
All right. Well, I have two more questions. Adam, do you have any? Yeah. Go ahead. Um, You're sitting so silently over here. I'm just the like, five man, right? Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> Wait, true. That's true. That's an enneagram. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I'm I'm going to invite you onto the podcast to do an enneagram episode. Look, I would love to come back and do a whole thing yes. on the enneagram. Everyone's yes. welcome. You have an, a yes. topic. Yes. Bring it to us. We'll bring <laughs> yes. it on. I really, yeah, I love teaching. It's been enneagram. fun learning that from you, and it's been very helpful. So, uh, number one, kind of quick, rapid questions, but uh, what has been the thing that has been the most unexpected so from when you started to now what is it that surprised you either about about the type of person that decided to come or the way that any anything uh, in the process of doing intersections thus far i'm sure there'll be more surprises to come but what what has surprised you so far the instant vulnerability that i i experience in the people who are showing up who say things like i found my tribe and are willing to just bear their souls because this is I mean, what we're hearing is like, this is the first place I've ever been able to name dot, dot, dot. And it's really, it's shocking, right? In in my context as a pastor, it takes a long time for parishioners to let me in and to open up. I mean, not always, but, you know, it's pretty common for you to have to really work on that relationship and build that trust. But people are coming in and just sort of like, here it is. This is, where else can I go to talk about this? It surprised me how natural all of it is. I mean, we're we're all leaders, right? And so we tried to workshop this ahead of time and stuff. And then when you get there, it's like, well, this is flowing and this is not necessarily something I'm in control of. I'm sort of enjoying it and figuring out where it's headed, but it's not a lot of work. I, I think the it, it surprised me. There's a couple of things. I think this is Raj. Surprised me. Yeah, this is, <laughs> this is Raj. Uh, <laughs> figured my voice may be familiar by now. Um, the connection that we talked about that developed fairly quickly for us as we were navigating through, but like how much I love Casey and Alan uh, and how much that grows over time, I think surprises me you know, when, when I like see them. It, it's been a few weeks since I've seen these guys and walking in the door, it's like, oh man, I've missed you guys so much. You know, it's something you hope for but you don't always get. So that that's there. And I'm really grateful to the two of you for, for that love. And, and, you know, it goes both ways. But the other thing is the reach, you know, you figure you do something like this, like who the bleep is going to, you know, <laughs> like, is anybody going to even show up to do this? You know? right. And there's these interesting sparks all over the place. There's people kind of checking us out and the topics from all over the country. Um, I even got uh, reached out to by someone doing uh, a term paper on feminism and and Christianity to interview. Uh, you know, that was one of the the subjects on the inter- interview. So it's like, you know, how did that happen? So the 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 reach has surprised me that, that it's such a diverse group of people. Uh, what intersections is is resonating with people that I, I would have never anticipated. Um, I think what surprised me is how important it is to have a language to talk about our spiritual selves. Yes. And I mean, we even have we have some folks who are who don't have the baggage. They're, they're, they're coming to intersections not out of fundamentalist traditions necessarily. They're coming because they've heard this is a place where you could have spiritual conversations. Right. And um, and so they don't have the same you too, me too kind of moments. But they are finding language That's to right. talk about yeah. their spiritual 
beans. Yeah. And um, I don't, I think I undervalued that until intersections started. So what happens? Is there, is there a plateau in your mind on when it becomes too big and you have to reevaluate the intimacy of this model? Um, and then obviously I don't think that any of you believe that this is the, the void that intersections is filling is not unique to this area. It's, you know, I mean, uh, just our podcast alone, this is, uh, is the motivating factor for why we even started what we're starting. So this is something that is, is out there. And I know there's other kinds of different things. And I know that you're all associated with a same denomination. Um, but clearly there's a sense that it's important that it needs to be other. So what, what do you, what do you anticipate? the future, like what, what things are popping in your head as far as like things we need to think about on the horizon as this changes and, and evolves? Well, I think we, we have briefly talked about developing a cohort model and then doing some kind of, you know, if people want to use the, the name intersections, we're all UCC, but we're all different. That's one of the beauties I think about the UCC. And, and, it's important to us that whoever facilitates a group like this is vetted, that they, they're in it for the right reasons, that they're not there to, uh, you know. Proselytize. Proselytize. Even if it's a progressive view, we don't want right. progressivism to be shoved down anybody's, you know, throats either. That That's not helpful. And, and we've talked about our own space, like what happens when it's too – well, then we, we would like to, to coach some facilitators from within the group. And so we can have more – small groups in in the room. Uh, So it's very scalable. Uh, I think it's replicable. I'm a big fan of of having connected yet somewhat independent. And this is just my idea. It's not a group idea. Uh, A connected, uh, like where if we had a cohort in a couple of other places where we had a monthly conference call or web meeting, we talked about the things that are emerging and, and be resources for one another and be in the work together. Rather than just like, hey, you know, people over there in South Beach are doing this, and we don't know what they're doing or who they really are. I, I, I don't. I'm not interested in that particularly, but, but I think there's room. But we haven't. We're interested in looking into it, yeah. but we haven't really fleshed it out. At this exact moment, we're growing as as a group, and because we have four leaders, there's a lot of room to kind of grow. And like you said, coaching people from within how to do this stuff. So our specific location can get quite a bit bigger, I think, before we'd have to think about stuff beyond that. But I do think the one thing I'd want to replicate in all of this is the trust between all the leadership. We've come to that. We've come back to that like a hundred times, right? Mm -hmm. Like there is an intimacy and trust between the leadership that is the foundational key to all of what we do. And so I think... If we're going to do more of this and provide more areas of stuff like this, that's the the key to where we're going to go in the future is we have to know and be a community with the people that are doing this work. I mean, everybody has permission to do this work wherever you want, whenever you freaking want, because so much needs to be done. But I think that there's there's definitely a, a model here worth being a part of and replicating. Absolutely. I mean, my dream is that it's a movement. That it's, you know, those I'm part of Facebook groups and you probably are, too, with like thousands of members of people who identify as coming out of fundamentalist traditions. So with nowhere to go with no. Yeah. (laughs) And so it's kind of like you can be really anonymous on Facebook and, you know, you can interact and connect and it's like super helpful and valuable. 
But this is more intimate for sure. I mean, it's the payoff here is way more than reading articles and sharing stories on Facebook. Those are important. But here is just so different mm -hmm. meeting people in person. So I hope it just like explodes. We've had only four meetings so far. This will be our fifth tonight. So it's just getting going. You know, this is like exciting because we're not even a year in yet. We've met for like over a year, yeah. but yeah. this group has only met. Right. But we, and, and we've also, in our own individual journeys as spiritual leaders, have done work similar to this mm -hmm. in other contexts. So, uh, and, and that's contributed, I think, to the to the knowledge base. So, where can people find intersections if they're listening to this and they just want to get some information? You have a Facebook page. It's okay if we put that on the yeah, show notes. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. It's Facebook slash The Intersections. Okay. So we will put that in the show notes at irenacast.com slash 113. That's irenacast.com slash 113. Uh, so before we close out, I don't know, like I know you guys are doing stuff together and you have your individual churches, but would you like to plug anything that maybe you're working on individually that you'd like to guide people to as far as your your personal work? Uh, well, as a member of Parkside United Church of Christ, one thing I, w I do want to give a shout out to, and, and Bonnie is the pastor there. She's awesome. Um for this Lent, we the church, uh, the pastors have decided to have us go. It, the theme is repenting the sin of racism. To belong to a church that's willing to take that on and like, you know, Ash Wednesday, we watch 13th together. Oh, that's amazing. I mean. I'm going to go to your church. Yeah. It, <laughs> it, I'll commute so five hours. <laughs> check it out. Ch check out parksideucc.org. Um, find out about it. Maybe you can't attend, but you can you know, be connected to some of the topics that are going on because that's the work the church needs to be doing. So um, I actually came up to Placer County five years ago to do youth ministry. Uh, and the church that hired me hired me for a lot of reasons. But one of them was uh, that one of their youth group girls had committed suicide because she was a lesbian. And they were still grieving that. And so when I arrived in this very conservative county as an out gay man partnered, I felt really called to to be out and to be loud for the sake of young people in this community who desperately needed a place to be. And I currently now serve a church. This is a different church right across the street from the high school that that young girl went to. Uh, I don't find that to be like ironic and I now serve a church that allows me to uh, hold a non-religious LGBT youth group. Um, and we meet every third Monday at the church, Loomis Basin Congregational Church. And we allow teenagers to just come and hang out. And then we do a Valentine's dance and a Halloween dance. Because for young LGBT people like myself, we didn't get to dance with the people we wanted to dance with. Right. Um, adolescence came at 25 instead of, you know, 13 through 20. And so I don't want young people to have to experience that ever again. And so it has been my commitment and the commitment of my church to open up its doors and to provide space for young people to just be. This isn't a, you know, bait and switch sort of thing. Um, it's a just come and be sort of thing. And so, like I said, we meet every third Monday. At 6 p.m. here at the church, we provide a meal, and then whatever is going on, like uh, next month, it's um, talking about how you come out to your family. And so we have like a PowerPoint. It'll be super cool and fun. <laughs> we just had a dance. We just had our Valentine's dance. I mean, so 
Yeah, this congregation's been really passionate about working with LGBT teenagers and allowing them to um, just be, to know that there's a place in this county for them to um, show up and not be judged, but to be supported. Um, I have to say something about a program that I'm excited about. Received a grant. The Sacramento area received a grant, actually, through the Interfaith, uh, Sacramento Interfaith Council, and then also um, from the United Church of Christ to start an interfaith peace education camp called Peace Village. So I'm just now getting that started. And we hope to have our first Sacramento Peace Village, which is for, it's like a summer day camp for kids, uh, first grade through eighth grade, and then high schoolers and young adults are the counselors of the camp. And it's it's designed to be an interfaith community where kids together learn about peacemaking. And it's you, it, I've been involved in San Mateo and also in Eugene with a, the same model, and um, I'm really excited to bring it to this area. So, yeah, just look for that on Facebook soon. <laughs> One thing I'd like to invite people, if you are in the Sacramento area or Elk Grove, I've been working with my church to start the Immigration Detention Visitation Program, and we went through a workshop and had people come and speak. We actually had... One person who we, I, think, I, I can say this, well, we had one person we paid their bail who's a, um, seeking amnesty or, you know, is a refugee from their home who was put in ICE immediately after crossing the border at like 16 or 17 years old. And uh, we helped pay his, his bail and he came to church with us and he worshiped with us. And then afterward, he kind of, he was there for us for the the workshop and stuff. And so that's a program that is a bigger thing called Civic. Wherever you're at right now, if you're in the United States, look up, uh, I think it's endisolation.org maybe, um, but it's a, the program's called Civic. And there are immigration detention centers all over the United States. And there's a program where you can go be one of two things um, at the same time. You can end someone's isolation, let them know someone on the outside knows their name, knows their story, knows what they're going through, if they have a lawyer, what they're facing. And then secondly, kind of be a, a eyes and ears for the immigration program itself, because local uh, municipalities or sheriff's departments and stuff get money for signing up for this program. And it actually benefits them to just shove people in there, because if you have a person in a the bed, then you get money from the government for your local law enforcement or something. So if you want to be a part of the the effort to end the isolation and to, and to be eyes and ears, look up the the civic stuff. And if you're close enough to me, come with me <laughs> and we'll go do it together. Uh, and I think we'll put everyone's Twitter handles and stuff. If anyone has like connection stuff from all of you, we can put that in the yeah, show notes. Once again, we'll put that in the show notes at uh, rentacast.com slash 113. So we'll have links to all that stuff. Um, so yeah, thank you all so much for agreeing to to sit down and, and do this this roundtable for We're in Casey's thank office. <laughs> yes, we are in Casey's <laughs> office or boardroom. Lumisucc.org. Or... <laughs> uh, so yeah, so thank you so much for joining us. And uh, Adam and I are looking forward to checking this thing out tonight. And uh See, see it in 3D. That's I look right. forward to coming back and teaching you all the Instagram. <laughs> yes, 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 please. Yes, that oh, sounds good. So that's good. a that's a big talking point in a lot it of is. The, the circles. Anyway, all right. So, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of those uh, so thanks again once again, and don't forget to check the show notes at irenacast.com slash one one three. That's irenacast.com slash one one three, and we'll be back next time with our regular format. Thanks for joining the conversation. Mm-hmm.